0: Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean."
1: Welcome to the weekend service at Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad you're here with us this evening. My name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm happy to get to spend a little time with you talking about the story that we just heard read from the Bible in Second Kings. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and open it up to Second Kings Chapter 5. Or if you have your phone, open it up and scroll to Second Kings Chapter 5. I'm excited to get started in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanna tell you once again about an event coming up on our calendar that I am personally very excited about and I want you to be too. And that is on August 11th, we are hosting an event called Considering Jesus. The design of this event is for Christians to grow in their faith and to bring with them a friend who may not know Jesus, who can hear maybe for the first time or yet again, the good news of what God has done in Jesus. For this event, on August 11th, we're bringing in Pastor Scott Sauls from Nashville. He is a tremendous, tremendous pastor, a great writer and speaker. And he is gonna be talking about how the message of Jesus uniquely brings us hope in the midst of our divided, us versus them, red state, blue state kind of world. So if you find yourself tired of, of all the fighting all the time, and you're looking for hope in the midst of that, I really want to encourage you to come to this event and bring someone with you. I cannot think of a better person to talk to us about these things than Scott Saul. So August 11th, please make plans uh, to be here. I'm very excited about that. But I'm also excited about spending some time with you this evening talking about the story of Naaman. In fact, to do that, I have an outline I want to hold out to you. Three... Simple points I want to use to make sense of this story and hopefully show you how relevant it is to our lives. Three points and they go like this. Why do we look for God? Why can't we find Him? And why we know He wants to be found. Okay. Why we look for God, why we can't find Him, and why we know He wants to be found. Let's start with the first one, why we look for God. You know, this story, the main character of this story, is a man named Naaman. We, we don't know a lot about Naaman, but what we do know is pretty impressive. He is the leader of the army of Syria. His direct report is the king of Syria. We're going to see that in a minute. In fact, Naaman is so important in his country that when he needs something, he can go directly to the king. Not someone who works for the king, not to the king's executive assistant, but straight to the king himself. Naaman is an important man. And he's not just important because he was born into the right family or or because he went to the right schools. No, he is important because he has proven himself to be important. He's not just the leader of the army of Syria. He is a winner. He is an effective, accomplished military leader. In fact, he has just recently won a battle against Israel. He, he is a king's best friend, because kings back in this time want to constantly protect their kingdom and grow their kingdom. And the way you do that is by winning on the battlefield. And because of Naaman, the king of Syria, has been winning. Naaman is an accomplished, successful, important man. But he is also a man who is sick. In fact, there's a great verse in this passage that says Naaman was a mighty man of valor. And then right after that, it says, but he also had leprosy. Naaman has a disease and not just any disease, but the disease most feared in his day and age. I mean, he is a man who is sick, not just with a random illness, but with the illness everyone is afraid of. Leprosy was a skin condition that would ultimately cause the parts of your body to rot. And they would rot to the point where they would eventually fall off. So leprosy is fatal. And it's not just fatal as in you'll go to bed one night and you'll wake up the next morning not being able, uh, not being able to breathe. It is more like you will slowly Watch yourself disintegrate. It is a slow and very painful disease. In fact, in the ancient world, they feared the disease so much that lepers were often not allowed to live around other people. They were forced to live in leper colonies, or, or, or kind of outside the city civilizations where only lepers could live. Naaman is a very important man, he's a very successful man, and he's a very sick man. And it is because of this illness that he will find himself curious about the God of Israel. It's because he's sick that he will be interested in the God of the Bible. I mean, after all, it's important to know that Naaman has just recently won a military victory against Israel, God's people. Up until this point, he has not cared about the God of the Bible at all. He hasn't been interested He hasn't been inclined to ask questions. He hasn't been afraid of that God or respectful of the God of the Bible. If anything, he has been an enemy of the God of the Bible. He has literally gone to war against God's people. But when a little servant girl, which is what Naaman would have called her, you and I would call her a slave, when a little slave girl says to him, I actually know about a guy who works for a God who could cure you, Naaman becomes interested in the God of Israel in a way that he has never been. Naaman is the kind of successful, accomplished guy who has very little interest in God until, until he finds himself in need. And in that way, this story is incredibly relevant to us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, it can be hard to find myself in the story. I mean, this is a story about a Syrian war general in ancient times who has a disease that I've never seen, and I don't know anyone who's ever had, and I'm not afraid of it. So on first glance, I can read this story and say, you know, boy, I'm not really sure what this has to do with me. What does the story of a sick Syrian war general have in common with my life? But if I zoom out for a second and say that actually this is the story of a successful, accomplished, important guy who only becomes interested in God when he faces a problem that he cannot solve, this story becomes incredibly relevant for all of us. Because is it not true that when life is going well, when we are accomplishing, when we are healthy, when our relationships are intact, it can be easy to go a day or a week, or a month, or a lifetime without reference to God, without thinking about God. For most of us, we would say the moments of our lives that we are most interested in God are moments of need. Moments like Naaman when we say, "Uh uh-oh, I have a problem. I don't have a strategy. I don't have an answer. So maybe I should ask God. God. That's where Naaman is. That is often where we find ourselves. You can think of this as Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life when he owes the money and he doesn't know how he's gonna pay it back. And there's that scene where he's sitting in the bar and he's saying to God, I I don't really pray, God. But if you're out there, I I I I've lost eight thousand dollars. I I need some help. Jimmy Stewart is doing what Naaman was doing, he's doing what we do. God I know we don't talk a lot. I know we're not really in any kind of relationship, but can you help me? I I call this the refrigerator principle. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you don't really think a lot about your refrigerator. Well, let me put it this way. I don't think a lot about my refrigerator. In fact, if you asked me, Zach, what kind of refrigerator do you have? I would have to tell you, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know if there are a lot of different refrigerator brands, but, but I don't know which one I have. It's got two top doors side by side, the freezer's at the bottom, and the ice maker doesn't work. That's all I know about my refrigerator. And yet I use it every day. I'm around it every day. I'm getting things out of it every day. You can look at me and tell maybe too often every day I am in my refrigerator, but I don't know what kind of refrigerator I have. I don't think about it, because when I need food, it's there. Now, if my refrigerator were to break, if it no longer kept my food cold, if my freezer went out, if all of a sudden I didn't have food when I needed it, I would become aware of what kind of refrigerator I had and what kind of refrigerator everyone else around me had. All of a sudden, in every home that I went into, I would say, hey, what kind of refrigerator is that? Do you like it? Does it keep things cold? Is that a television screen on your refrigerator? Boy, that's living. That's living. What's the square footage you have in there? How many steaks can you fit in there? How much milk can you fit in there? All of a sudden, I would be interested because I would no longer be satisfied with my refrigerator. That is so often how we are with God. We live in God's world every day. There's evidence of God's reality all around us. And yet if life is good, we're not very mindful of him. We don't know much about him. We don't think much about our connection to him or lack thereof. But when things go bad, like Naaman, like Jimmy Stewart, We begin to say, God, are you out there? God, can you help me? God, do you care? We begin to look for God. Listen, some of you here this evening, you are here because you have a need. Because you're sick, because you can't pay a bill, because your marriage is in crisis, because you're in the throes of addiction, you have come looking for God. In this way, this story is your story. It's the story of a person who in a time of need goes looking for God. But even if that's not where you are right now, like me, you would say, I've been there. I've been there. And I'll be there again. We go looking for God when we find ourselves unable to deal with the problems that life throws our way. That is when we go looking for God. And I want you to notice something in this story and that is that Naaman is never scolded for that. There's not a single time in this story that Naaman is told, oh, I guess you only care about God when you need something, Naaman. I didn't see you at church last Sunday, Naaman. I looked at the giving list, Naaman. You haven't given in a while. There's none of that. There's not a single sentence in this passage where God is angry with Naaman Or frustrated with Naaman or feels used by Naaman. There is no single instance of that and that's important because here's the first thing I want you to see. It is usually when things go wrong that we begin looking for God. And the story of Naaman tells us that that is okay to be looking for God when something has gone wrong. Even if you've never looked for him before, even if you've never thought about him before, God wants people in need to come looking for him. But I want you to see my second point, which is, why can't we find him then? I want you to see that for most of this story, Naaman stays a leper. In fact, the the climactic moment in this story is when Elisha, the prophet of God, comes out, or he sends his messenger out, And the messenger tells Naaman, hey, just go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cured. And Naaman gets angry and and upset. It's not what he was expecting. And he's going to storm away and go back home to Syria without being cured, without being helped, without being healed. And you're reading the story and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this story, which has been driving towards this miraculous end is now going to end with nothing happening. And I think here's the thing, just as I'm sure that every single person here tonight has said to God, God, are you out there? I need help. I'm also sure that every person out here tonight has often wondered why in their life when they asked God for help, he did not show up. Why is it that even though we go looking for God and even though he doesn't rebuke that here and he doesn't challenge that here, why is it that when we go looking for him, we don't seem to be able to find him? Well, let's look at why that is for Naaman. Naaman hears from this slave girl that he should go to Israel and meet the prophet. And when Naaman goes, he goes with two strategies. He has two strategies he employs. The first strategy is what I'll call the do you know who I am strategy. The second one is do you know what I have? The first thing he does is he goes to the king of Syria. And the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. Because Naaman is important. He doesn't deal with prophets or religious people. He doesn't want to talk to the pastor. So he goes king to king. And his, and his basic idea is do you know who I am? It's me, Naaman, leading military general, famous, important man. Do you know who I am? I expect to be cured because of who I am. And the second strategy, when the king says to him, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a healer, and I'm not a prophet, and he sends him to Elisha, that when he goes to Elisha, we're told that he shows up with horses and chariots. That'd be like saying he pulls up with a fleet of Range Rovers. And he has in the trunk of the Range Rover gold and silver and clothing. And he's saying, do you know what I have to give? Not just do you know who I am, but do you know what I could give you? Do you know what I'm willing to pay? Do you know what I'm willing to do? You know, it is interesting to me that so many scholars, when they read this story, what they want to talk about with Naaman is his pride. They say things like, look how arrogant Naaman is he thinks because he's Naaman or because he's rich, he's going to get healing. But I actually don't think that pride is what's going on here. I don't mean that Naaman's not proud. He, he's proud. Most successful, accomplished people, if, if we're honest, struggle with being proud. He's done a lot of things. He is very important. But I actually don't think Naaman is being proud here. He's being religious. Naaman believes that if you want to get something from God, you have to give something to God. Naaman believes that, that if there's a God out there and, and he's able to help you, that certainly God isn't going to help everyone. He's going to have to pick and choose who he's going to help. And, and if he were going to pick and choose, he would pick the most important people and the people with the most to give. And so when Naaman shows up saying, it's me, very important Naaman, with a lot of money and a lot of possessions that I'm willing to give, Naaman is looking to bargain or trade with God. In fact, look at what he says when he gets angry because Elisha does not come out to see him. Look at what he says. You can find what he says in verse 11. He says, behold, people in the Bible, by the way, always saying behold. It's just weird to me. Behold. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. What Naaman is saying is, I thought we were going to have some kind of religious moment. I brought the stuff, I brought the money, I brought the tithe, I brought the gift, I brought my resume. I brought my references, I brought my accomplishments, and I thought I was going to give those things, and then the prophet was going to come out and dance around and, and wave his hands around and, and perform a miracle. Friends, this is not pride. This is what every religion in the world teaches. If you want something from God, you have to give something to God. In fact, Winfred Cordewan, who teaches or taught, religion at Taylor University in Indiana says that from the beginning of time, the one thing that every religion has had in common is the idea that if there's a God or spirits or karma or gods or whatever you call them, then, then it's incumbent upon us to do whatever it takes to make them happy. Because if they're happy, they will bless us. And if they're angry, they will curse us. And Naaman shows up saying, God, I'm in need. God, I need help. God, I know we have, haven't talked in a while. I know we don't have a relationship. I know I haven't been at church. I, I, I know I haven't read my Bible. I know, but, but I'm willing to trade. Tell me what I need to do. I will do it. You give me what I need, God, and I will give you what you want. These are the five pillars of Islam. This is the karmic cycle of Hinduism and Buddhism. These are the sacraments, the law, the tenets of every other religion you've ever been around. I will put in in order to get out. This makes sense to us when we think about God. Surely, if we would ask for something from God, we would have to give something. By the way, you don't have to be religious to believe this. Perhaps late at night, laying in your bed, you've thrown up a prayer to God. God, are you out there? God, could you help me? And then what's the very next thing you say? God, if you help me, I will do blank. God, if you could help me, I will break up with my boyfriend. God, if you help me, I will write a check. God, if you help me, I will serve. God, if you help me... I will go to church. We go to God looking to trade. We go to God looking to bargain. We go to God with horses and chariots and gold and silver and changes of clothes. But here's what I want you to see from the story of Naaman. Every single person who tries to negotiate or barter or trade with God will miss him. That's what the story of Naaman teaches us. God is not interested in a trade. He is not interested in bartering or negotiating or exchanging. God is not interested in receiving from you in order to give you. If you go to God looking to earn, negotiate, achieve, accomplish, exchange, you will always miss him. If the story of your life is a story of saying, God, are you out there? If you help me, I'll give you anything. And you wondered why he never showed up. The story of Naaman tells us, he will never show up for the person looking to trade. There is not a single person in the history of the universe who has ever truly known and met God on the basis of who they are and what they have to give. People who seek God on that level will always miss him. That leads me to my third point, which is to say, then why are we so sure that God can be found? Listen, that second point is a doozy, I know. But this story does not end negatively, you know that. In fact, I was talking to some staff members this week about this passage, and one of our children's ministry interns had this great insight that I'm going to totally steal, but I'm telling you it came from her. And she said what she loved most about this passage was that one little girl knows more about God than almost anyone else in the story. Naaman will go to two different kings. Two different kings. But all he really needed to do was listen to the little girl in the very beginning. Because what does she say to the guy who abducted her? to the guy who in her eyes is not a general, but a war criminal, not a good guy, but a bad guy. But what does she say to him? She says, essentially, listen, I'm not impressed by who you are, what you've done. In fact, in fact, I have every reason to hate you for who you are and what you've done. But here's what I know, there is a God in Israel and there's a guy who works for him. And if you could somehow get to him, he would make you healthy. I want you to see that from the very beginning of the story, what does God want for Naaman? Why is this little girl so sure that God will heal Naaman? Naaman is not a good guy to her. He's not a nice guy. He's not an accomplished guy. There's nothing about him that she appreciates or enjoys. Why is she so sure that God would heal Naaman if Naaman would just get to God? And the answer is, here's what this little girl understands. The two kings and Naaman do not. The only way to find God is to begin a relationship with him that is not based on who you are and what you're willing to trade, but rather to begin a relationship with God on the basis of who he is. Not who you are, not what you're willing to do, but who he is. She says, To Naaman, if you can get to this God, he will heal you because that is who he is. Not because of who you are, Naaman, but because of who he is. You see, that's the whole point. Naaman shows up with Range Rovers and stuff ready to give. But the message to him is, I don't want any of that. Just go dunk yourself seven times in the muddy Jordan River. Why? Why? Because God is saying to Naaman, Naaman, the one thing you have to realize is I am willing to heal you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Listen, think about it this way. If you think about it, if God were to take from Naaman the horses and the chariots, the gold and the silver and the clothing, and then he was to heal Naaman, what he'd be saying to Naaman is Naaman, I'm here for you. Anytime you need something, all you have to do is have something I want. Naaman, I'm happy to help you as long as you are valuable to me, as long as you maintain your power and your wealth and your authority, as long as you have something to offer me. But Naaman, if you don't have anything to offer, if at some point you're out of horses, you're out of chariots, you're out of gold, you're out of silver, you're out of clothing, then don't come bother me. You see, that's what religion does. It invites us into a treadmill relationship with God, where as long as we can maintain our speed and our force and our energy, our moral fortitude, our willingness to serve, our willingness to give, our willingness to accomplish, God will always love us. But if we fall off the treadmill, we should assume he does not. See, God hides from those who are looking to trade with him because the absolute worst thing he could ever do is say yes to your negotiation. God doesn't want you to be on the treadmill. That's not what he wants for Naaman. In fact, I love verse 13 where Naaman is going to storm off because he won't do it. And his servants look at him and they say to him, Wait a minute, hold on a second, wait a minute. Did he really just say you could be healed? I feel like you're missing the forest for the trees, Naaman. You're burying the lead here. Like, I, I don't care if he wants you to dance around and cluck like a chicken. Did he really just say that your disease could be healed? Shouldn't you just do it then? See, Naaman is putting the emphasis on who he is and what he can bring. But his servants are putting the emphasis on the amazing offer of God to Naaman to be clean. The Bible says that Naaman finally takes them up on it. He gets into the river, dunks himself seven times, and look at what it says. He comes up, and his skin is clean. It's, it's smooth like a baby's. And that's not just there because babies have really smooth skin. That's there because babies don't offer anything to the person caring for them. Babies are in a totally dependent relationship with their parent. Now they're loved, they're loved completely and utterly, but they're not loved because they can mow the grass or wash the car or, or bring the family pride by accomplishing something at work or school. Babies are loved simply because they're loved, simply because they are loved by us and yet they offer nothing. Naaman becomes a baby in his heart before he becomes a baby in his skin. Listen, Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 17. You must become like one of these children, one of these infants, in order to see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this because here's what he knew. God is not looking for people who can prove to them to him how lovable they are. God is not interested in our religion. He's not interested in our resume. He's not interested in our accomplishments. He's not interested in our trade. God loves us the way you love a baby. We have nothing to offer him, but we're loved completely because of who he is and because of what he has said is true of us. Jesus came to prove this, by the way. Because God loved us so much that what he might have required from us, he came in Jesus to give us. Jesus who lived in our place and died in our place and rose from the dead so that God might say to us, everything you ever needed to give me, I have already given myself on your behalf. All you have to do to have a relationship with God is simply ask Jesus. No trades. No treadmill, no resume, no exchange. In fact, in the the words of the great hymn, it goes a little something like this, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Friend, if you come here tonight to meet God, do you need help from him? Do you desire a relationship with him? Here's what the story of Naaman tells us. Stop offering him things. Stop negotiating. Stop trying to earn. And instead, like a child, grab a hold of Jesus and believe that the God who sent him to live sinlessly in your place, to die sacrificially in your place, and to raise from the dead loves you not because of who you are and what you'll do, but because of who he is and how he feels about you. Those who look to trade with God will never find him. Those who simply look to gain from God will always find him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the story of Naaman. Thank you for the message that your love is not something we earn or something we accomplish or something for which we trade. It is something you freely offer to us in Christ. Help us to become like babies realizing we offer nothing and yet are loved with everything. Even today, even tonight, would you lead some people, Holy Spirit, to come to know Jesus in this way. In his name we pray. Amen.